0: If we haven't met, my name is Paul. I'll be preaching tonight. Uh, we are in the last week of a four part series on relationships. We've looked at what it means to be made in the image of God. We've looked at marriage. We've looked at being single. And tonight we're we'll looking at the topic of sexuality or homosexuality. Uh, we're going to read from the Bible. This is the last week at Church the Bridge we'll use this particular Bible. Uh, next week we're switching to the Holman Bible. Uh, there, will be, there will be Bibles here at church, but can I encourage you to buy your own Bible as well? The Holman Bible is available on the bookstore tonight. Tim's going to read from Romans
1: chapter 1. Okay, Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Uh, for the Bibles in Pew, it's page 796. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Less, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them.
2: Hi, everyone. Our second reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 6, beginning from verse 9. It's on page 809 of the Pew Bibles. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting from verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, "'nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. "'And that is what some of you were, "'but you were washed, you were sanctified, "'you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ "'and by the Spirit of our God. "'Everything is permissible for me, "'but not everything is beneficial. "'Everything is permissible for me, "'but I will not be mastered by anything. "'Food for the stomach and the stomach for food.' but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This is God's word.
0: Thanks, Peter God. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Megan. We're going to talk about uh, sexuality tonight. I want to start by saying that uh, times have changed and attitudes have changed. So in the last 20 years, there's been a massive shift in our society. Uh, We have shifted from uh, intolerance, to tolerance, from tolerance to acceptance, from acceptance to celebration. And we now live in a society that celebrates homosexuality as just another alternative lifestyle. That's a massive shift. It's a shift in that sexuality is no longer a, a moral issue. Sexuality is now a civil rights issue. It's a shift that sexuality is no longer a, a private thing. It's now a public thing. So times have changed. But I'm more concerned about the way that things have changed inside the church. If I was standing here in this church 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, the overwhelming majority of Christians would uphold the biblical truth of sex as one man and one woman within marriage. Overwhelming of Christians would say that's what the word of God says. But that's no longer true today, is it? So, so even this week, that the Church of Scotland has passed a motion to ordain practicing homosexual clergy. Tonight, Bishop Gene Robinson's in town. He's the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church in America. And a leading evangelical in England this week produced an article affirming, loving, gay relationships. And so in the church, attitudes have changed. And I think that most Australian Christians think that society has changed, times have changed, and so church needs to change with the times, And so for me to stand here tonight and to seek to uphold the beautiful, glorious truths of the Scriptures and affirm the beauty of sex within marriage and affirm heterosexuality as God's plan for his world, it actually takes courage. But that's the world that we live in. My aim tonight is to be thoroughly biblical And yet be loving and compassionate. Be thoroughly biblical, yet loving and compassionate at the same time. Because this issue of homosexuality is not just a theoretical issue, is it? It's actually about people. Real people with real lives, with real daily struggles. So as I prepare this sermon, I'm thinking of uh, Vaughan Roberts, who was my pastor. In England and Oxford, and a, a friend of mine, a leading evangelical preacher, who last year did an interview with a magazine, where he acknowledged that all of his life he has struggled with same-sex desires, and he's a godly man who is striving to be pure and celibate, and honour Jesus. Well, what, what can you imagine the daily struggle for that man? I'm thinking of Sam Olbu, who I was at college with, who's written a book called "Is God Anti-Gay?" He struggles with same-sex attraction. He is striving to honor Jesus and live a celibate life. Think of a guy I know called Dave who struggles with same-sex attraction. That he spent over 20 years in the church before he told anybody. Can you imagine that? 20 years, Sunday by Sunday, worshiping God, Tuesday, Wednesday night Bible studies, worshiping God, but for 20 years he didn't tell anybody. Why was that? because he was afraid of rejection he was afraid of ridicule and he was afraid that he would be hated by the church and I'm thinking of my friend Phil who is my closest non-Christian friend and uh, he used to be in a church but he is no longer he's living with his gay partner and when I met him in London a few weeks ago he told me that he still believed God hates him and the church hates him and as I prepare this sermon, I'm thinking of people in front of me tonight who I know struggle with this particular issue. And there'll be others here tonight who do struggle that I don't know about. And all of us here tonight will have friends, will have family members, people we love dearly, for whom this topic is a live topic. And so I want to be both biblical and compassionate tonight. So what does the, let me, let me just clarify a few things, but, but when I say homosexual, uh, I mean a preference on the part of adults for sexual behavior with the same sex. When I use the word same-sex attracted or same-sex desires, I mean people who have that orientation, they find the same-sex attractive, but they choose not to act on that attraction. And when I use the word gay, I mean both gay and lesbian. I just want to remind you that we're looking at the Bible because we as a church believe that this is the authoritative word of God, it's unchanging, and we look at what the Bible says about sex and what the Bible says about sexuality. And it's important I say that for two reasons. The first reason is that I'm sure that I will say things tonight that you don't like. And can I ask you to say, do I disagree with Paul Dale or do I disagree with the Word of God? That's an important distinction. But the second thing to say is that we as Christians, if you are a Christian here tonight, we've actually got a, a, a worldview based on Scripture of a creation and uh, the fall and a sinful world. And we've got a view of a saviour and we've got a view of a new creation, And that changes the way that we talk about this topic. And I say that because if you are engaging with somebody outside of the church on this issue, please just don't go quoting Bible verses at them. That's not going to help. They have a different worldview. They don't believe in a creator. They don't believe in a sinful world. They don't believe in the Savior. They don't believe in a new creation. And a lot of damage has been done by the church just by quoting random Bible verses at people with a totally different worldview. So, I'm going to talk tonight to Christians within the church as to how we should view this issue. Five biblical truths for you. First one is this that God created sex for union and procreation within marriage. You've got to get your sex theology right. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 1, when God made men and women in his image, what was the first command he gave to men and women? Be fruitful and increase in number. He's basically saying, go and have sex and make babies. And so God made men and God made woman. And it sounds very base, but they do fit together perfectly biologically. And he created this thing called sex, which is the most beautiful, the most vulnerable, the most intimate expression between two human beings. And God in the Bible always upholds sex as as a glorious part of his creation, but within boundaries called marriage, that lifelong permanent relationship between one man and one woman. And then Jesus reinforces that in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. And it's really very clear in the Bible that That there are two ways to live. If you're married, if you're married, enjoy sexual intimacy. And if you're not married, be celibate. And as soon as I say that, you sort of laugh at me and ridicule me. Because in a a world driven by sex, the idea of being celibate is just laughed at. But the Bible affirms it. And that has huge implications for this topic tonight. Because it means that any, any sexual activity outside of a marriage God said is not right, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. And so if we're Christians who love Jesus, we should be just as concerned about extramarital sex and premarital sex as we are about homosexuality. Because listen very carefully that the Bible does not say that straight sex is good and gay sex is bad. It doesn't say that. It says sex within marriage is a good and beautiful thing, but any activity outside of marriage... It's not according to God's will. And I stress that because I do fear the church is very hypocritical here. We're very quick to slam homosexual sex, but slow to address the issue of purity outside of marriage. Uh, the second truth is this, that God condemns all same-sex activity. And as soon as I say that, as soon as you read it, you flinch and go, gosh, that is so homophobic but that's what the Word of God says. Uh, there's, there are basically four main passages. The first one comes in Genesis chapter 19, a famous story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where uh, the men come to Lot's house and they say, uh, bring out the men so that we can have sex with them. And God condemns it. And the second passage is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, where the Word of God says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, That is detestable. And I know that people try and interpret these verses by saying it's about male rape or male prostitution or aggressive gay sex. There's no evidence for that. Or that Levitical law doesn't apply because we can't wear two materials in the same shirt. But you've got to grapple with the New Testament. So let's turn to it. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. It's on page 796. What does the Word of God say? Romans chapter 1, page 796, verse 20, it says, Since the creation of the world, since back to creation, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. It's a wonderful verse. It just says, Through creation people should say, yes, there is a God. Through creation, people should say God is powerful and God is a divine nature. We should do that, but what do we do instead? Verse 25. We exchange that truth for a lie and we start to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Instead of saying there must be a God and and I'm just a creature, there must be a God, he is the potter and I'm just the clay, we start to find our identity and our security and our satisfaction in created things. And we start to play God. Now what's the consequence of that down to verse 28 and 29? We become filled with every kind of wickedness, with evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, slandering, God-hating, arrogant and boastful. He's saying when you choose to ignore God as your creator and decide to make it the rules yourselves, it leads to a messed up kind of world. And sexual impurity is part of that. Part of it, not the whole of it. What does he say in verse 26? God gave them over to shameful lusts and even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed indecent acts with other men. You see, the the contrast is not whether it's a loving relationship or an unloving relationship, not whether it's a, a lifelong relationship or a temporary relationship. The contrast is natural versus unnatural. See that word in verse 26? Exchanging natural relations for unnatural relations. Abandoning natural relations with women for unnatural relations with men. And when the Bible uses that word natural, it does not mean what comes naturally to you, what naturally feels good to you. The biblical word means according to nature, according to creation, according to God's order. And God's order is what? Men and women. And that's very hard to say in our culture, but throughout the Bible it is very clear that the activity, the practice of sexual acts between the same sex is not natural. Flick over to one Corinthians chapter six, page eight hundred and nine. Paul's talking about people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, they won't be there in eternity. Who are they? the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, the homosexual offenders, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanderers, and the swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I read that list and go, well, I'm there. I've been greedy. I've slandered. I've drunk too much. And that's not the point. The point is not whether you have failed occasionally in these areas, the point is if you persistently and consistently choose to live your life this way and say there's nothing wrong with it, there's nothing wrong with sexual immorality, there's nothing wrong with homosexual acts, there's nothing wrong with being greedy or being drunk or being slanderous, that's okay, I'll just live my life that way. The Bible says you won't inherit the kingdom. So if I may speak to anybody here tonight who is claiming to love Jesus, claiming to be a Christian... But is currently living an active gay life, can I urge and ask you with love and compassion to stop and start to honor God? Just as I say to anybody here tonight who is heterosexual, claiming to love Jesus, claiming to honor Jesus, but being sexually immoral, can I ask you to stop, change, and honor God? So, Paul, are you, saying, are you telling me the Bible says that if I'm same-sex attracted, then I can't act on my attractions? And I have to say yes, that's what I am saying. That's what the Bible says. I reckon this guy says it best. He's a guy called Wesley Hill. The best book I've read It's called Washed and Waiting. A Christian man who struggles daily with same-sex desire. He says this. I'm gay, but I'm not in a gay relationship. Why not, you ask? Why would anyone voluntarily remain in a state of suppressing their sexual desires? Why would anyone choose to abstain from sex? He says the answer is not in individual proof texts from the scriptures. Those proof texts are never enough to keep gay Christians from looking for sexual activity. And the answer is certainly not. In statements of faith or the weight of church tradition. That's why people have been labeled the church as cruel and homophobic. The answer, the answer for striving for celibacy is to see all these texts as part of the true story of how much God loves us and what He's done for us in Jesus. And when you see Jesus and are satisfied with Jesus and you understand that he de- the demands He makes on you, then you will strive to honor God with your body. See what he's saying? He's saying that when you've met Jesus, he actually cleanses you, he actually forgives you. It's that beautiful verse in verse 11, isn't it? That's what some of you were. All of us were greedy, drunkards, slanderers. Some of us were homosexual offenders. All of us were sexually immoral in some way. And then we met Jesus. And we were washed, and we were cleansed, and we were sanctified, we were made holy, and we were justified, we were were made right with God. It's the most glorious truth of the Bible, that everybody and anybody, no matter what your background, what your race, what your sexuality, when you come to Jesus, and when you come to the cross, and you look at Jesus and his death, you go, he washes me, he cleanses me, he forgives me. It's the most glorious truth. Let me tell you about Anthony. Anthony. I met Anthony at a party in London. It must have been 16 years ago. He worked for the BBC. I'm in this conversation with him. He's clearly gay. I met his gay boyfriend there, gay partner. And that awkward moment in the conversation where he asks you what you do for a living. And your heart sinks and you go, okay, I'm a church minister. And the conversation went on for about an hour and it was kind of like, God hates gays, no he doesn't, yes he does. God hates me, no he doesn't, yes he does. The church hates gays. No, they don't. Yes, they do. After about an hour, I said, Look, why don't, but well, would you be willing just to put aside, to put onto one side for the moment, the whole discussion on sexuality and homosexuality? Are you willing to do that? He said, Park that for a moment and, and look with me at the claims of Jesus. And amazingly, he did. For weeks and for months, we met up and we read the Bible and we discussed Jesus and who he was and why he came. And the most extraordinary thing happened. He met Jesus. And he understood that that all people need a saviour and that Jesus forgives all people and that homosexual sin is not the greatest sin in the world and that all people need to be washed by Jesus. And he met Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. It was like probably one of the most emotional moments in my life to see him give his life to Christ. And what I understood that day was that we just stop focusing on the issue of sexuality and start introducing people to Jesus because that's what they really need to hear. But, and a big but here, when you've met Jesus, when you're claiming to live for him as your savior, Jesus makes demands on us, doesn't he? The gospel of Jesus makes demands on all our behaviours. Don't you find that? If you love Jesus here tonight, don't you find that Jesus makes demands on you? There are things that you want to do that you know that you shouldn't do. There are desires that you have that you know are not in line with what he wants for you. Don't you find that? And it's no different. See, it's no good saying, God loves me, Jesus has forgiven me just the way I am, so I need to act as on who I am. It's just not a good argument, is it? This is not true, but I, I could stand here tonight. This is not true for the record. I could stand tonight and say, uh, I'm a sex addict, and every time I see a woman, I need to have sex with her. It's just the way that God has made me. I can't help it. I know I'm forgiven. God loves me. And I hope you would say to me, No, no, Paul, change your ways. You're claiming to follow Jesus. Start to live with Jesus, your Lord. I could say I'm just naturally angry person. You know, when somebody says something offensive, I want to punch them, and I'm just an aggressive person. Just the way God's made me. And I hope you would say, no, Paul. If you're claiming to live for Jesus, change your ways and follow Him. It's the same argument for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. Yes, some of them might have. Experience that from the day that they were born as long as they remember but doesn't mean they have to act out on them because jesus demands that we live a holy life and i think that's a big problem for our church we kind of want jesus all the good things the security and the satisfaction and the love and the joy and the hope but we don't want him to be lord of our lives to this quote from a gay Christian man God gives us living water that will quench our thirst and satisfy our soul he gives us security and love and forgiveness and satisfaction but sometimes God's water is like salt water sometimes it stings and it hurts us because divine love is demanding love divine love is demanding love So when I met with Anthony over the following two years, we met every week, and he didn't stop being attracted to men. He still is. Initially, he didn't stop sleeping with men either, and that might shock you, but it's a long, slow change, you know. Week after week, we would talk about resisting temptation, and then... He'd go out and he'd be tempted and he would indulge in a one-night stand and then he'd feel guilty and wrapped with guilt and then he'd repent and change his ways. It lasted for two weeks and three weeks and four weeks and he kept on failing and failing and failing. But the difference was the Spirit was at work in him. He didn't want to do it anymore. And he was striving to be different. And as far as I know today, he is celibate. And praise God for that. That's a powerful work of the Spirit. Let's ask some questions. I'll ask you the questions. Do you think gay people are excluded from the church? Nod or shake? No. Of course they're not. All people are welcome in God's church, aren't they? Don't you long for people of all backgrounds and all sexualities to walk through that door tonight? Of course they're all welcome here. But here's the distinction. If you join God's church, if you submit your life to Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, you are a work in progress, aren't we? We're all works in progress. And we need to be bringing every air of our lives under the lordship of Christ. And that includes our sexuality. I think also as Lang and Place explain it best. We wish to warmly affirm those sisters and brothers who, while experiencing same sex desires and feelings, battle like the rest of us in repentance and faith for a lifestyle that honors Jesus. Second question: what would attract people to this church, gay people? Do you ever think about that? I let into a secret there are a lot more people sitting in bars and clubs in Oxford Street tonight than there are in this church building. So what's going to attract those people into this church? And the answer is not the church. The answer is Jesus. They need to meet Jesus first. And then they might feel part of a church family. But it does break my heart, you know, who are the Christians who are out there tonight? Who are the Christians who are actually befriending the gay community? Who are the Christians who are sitting down with, in the clubs and the bars and actually talking to them about Jesus? Who, who are the people out there actually wanting to do life with them? Because so often there are little evangelical holy huddles, we're just very comfortable in who we're sharing our faith with. All people need to hear about Jesus, whether they're gay or straight. Let's go on to number five. Is change possible? What do you reckon? Nod or shake? Of course, change is possible. But the answer to this question is it's possible, but it's never promised in terms of your desires changing from men to women. Of course, it's possible to curb your desires. But it's not always possible to flip from being attracted to men to being attracted to women. Uh, Vaughan Roberts, who I mentioned earlier, has written this amazing interview, A Battle I Face, there's copies on the bookstore, just take one. He says this, of course God can wonderfully change people. He said a proportion of people, including Christians, find that they remain exclusively attracted to the same sex. Of course God has the power to change their orientation, but he hasn't promised to. And that has not been my own personal experience. So what do you do if you're a Christian here tonight who experiences same-sex desires? What do you do? Can I, ask, can I just tell you that ignoring is not the path to redeeming? Please don't stick your head in the sand. Please don't just pray it will go away. As one gay Christian put it, It's that oceans of confusions and struggles that you have to negotiate every day. Please don't do that battle alone. Please don't fight alone. Let me read from Wesley. There's something I'd like you to know about me. I began weakly, my voice trembling. I told Charlie I was gay and I'd known since puberty. I told him I prayed for healing and I said I just wanted a Christian friend, just one Christian friend who would be there for me, who would help me to figure out how to live with this constant tension and this confusion that at times seemed so overwhelming. When I finished, Charlie was quiet. Do you want to say anything else, he asked, and I shook my head. He said, "Whereas I just want you to know that I don't think it's weird. But it is weird, I exclaimed. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, I don't want you to feel it's weird for me to hear this. I always feel overwhelmed when people share things like this with me. Thank you so much for sharing. And we prayed, and we hugged, and we read the Bible, and we chatted together. And I knew something decisive, that decisive had happened that night because I was no longer struggling alone, I was struggling with the help of another person. And if you're here tonight, can I urge you and plead with you, do not struggle alone. Please talk to somebody, come and talk to me. Anybody. What about loneliness? Loneliness. If you're same-sex attracted, what do you do with your loneliness? I read about a counselor who sat before a lesbian and said to the lesbian, you need to replace lesbian love with Jesus' love. And it's kind of right. Of course you've got to find your satisfaction in Jesus. Of course Jesus is enough for you. But it's not enough, is it? Because as human beings, we're wired for human love. We're wired for touch, and we're wired for relationships and friendships and just other people just to walk this life with and do life with. We're wired for that. You can't get that just by looking into the face of Jesus. And that's where we as a church need to actually put our faith into practice. Be there for people. Be less Anglo and start to hug people and tell people that you love them and cry with them and be there for them at midnight and invite them into your life. So, what does the church need to do? It needs to repent of any victimization that we've made to the gay community, the slang terms, the demeaning jokes, the derogatory comments, let's not underestimate the harm done. We as a church need to be very clear on what the Bible teaches, very clear on what God's commands are, certain that God's ways are right. And one gay Christian I know says, the most unhelpful thing that a church can do is to tell him to go and express his sexuality. It's like a slap in the face. We need to be consistent that homosexuality is not the greatest sin. It's not the only sin. We need to love people. Love people well. And be a friend to people. I'm going to invite one of my closest friends up who struggles with same-sex, or has struggled with same-sex desires. You know him. His name is Mike. and So I'm going to interview him right now. You know, Mike, Mike plays the piano regularly, Saturday nights, often on a Sunday as well. Um, thanks for being interviewed. Um, Mike, do you want to tell us um, how long you've been a Christian for?
3: Uh, I've been a Christian all my life. I actually don't remember a day when I didn't know Jesus as Lord, so I, even as a young child, remember knowing Jesus is my one and only Saviour. Cool. When did you first uh, experience um, same-sex desires? My first memory of it is in primary school, um, and, but it really became sexualised around Year 7 when, when puberty hit, when life, I guess, became sexualised. Okay, and so what did you do with those desires at that time? Yeah, for me, um, it expressed itself primarily uh, with pornography, uh, and that, that, uh, that occurred right throughout high school. Um, I was lucky in the sense that uh, for some reason God saved me from taking the next step and making it physical with another human. Um, but my battle was primarily with pun- pornography, which, and of course the problem with that is that even though, um, even when you, you know, go periods without looking at pornography, the images were constantly flooding through my mind.
0: Mm. Do you want to share what God has been doing in your life for the last 10 years?
3: Yeah, so uh, just over 10 years ago, the desires themselves were so um, consuming, so overwhelming, uh, that I actually uh, they actually had more control of me than um, than anything else, and they were pushing me towards wanting to take that next step and actually pursue a relationship with a with a guy. Um, but at the same time, I always had this underlying desire to follow Jesus, and that was pulling me in another direction. So I always had these two desires that were constantly at war with one another. One was pushing me towards men and another one was pushing me towards God. And then I was reflecting at church one day on John chapter 7 where Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you knew who had asked you for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink, and I would have satisfied you completely. And at that point, I decided I'm actually going to give Jesus a go. I'm going to test him and see whether what he says is true and whether he can actually satisfy me. And this is what I, I learned. The, the first fundamental thing I learned was that if I wanted to change, I needed to change for God's glory and God's glory alone. So it wasn't enough to want to be normal or want to be married. Uh, The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And that's true of my sexuality as much as anything else. Mm. And so I had to learn that if I wanted to change, it had to be for God's glory and his glory alone. The second thing that I had to learn was that I had in fact committed two fundamental sins. The first sin was rejecting God and the second sin was trying to satisfy myself rather than letting him satisfy me. So in Jeremiah 2, for example, it says that my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns Mm. that cannot hold water. Mm. And that was true for me. And the third thing that I learned was that I had to be satisfied in Jesus. Well, I had to learn what it meant to be satisfied in Jesus. And I became very disciplined um, with my Bible reading. I became very disciplined uh, with memorizing scripture. I became disciplined in podcasting. There was a period where I was podcasting every day, trying to feed myself as much as possible mm. and I also became disciplined in serving the church with the intention of increasing my intimacy with christ and What I started praying was that um, that God would reveal to me the supremacy of Christ in all things mm. so in luke twenty four Jesus is walking along the road with the disciples. Um, and uh, Luke records that he started with Moses and the prophets, and he explained to to them how all the scriptures concerned Jesus. Mm. And later on, the disciples say to themselves, didn't our hearts burn within us as we walked along the road? And he opened up the scriptures to us. So I started praying that every time I opened the Bible, I would see Jesus on every page and that my heart would burn within me. But that in itself wasn't enough either. I actually had to confess my sin, and not only to God, I actually had to bring it out into the light and tell people. Mm. Um, I told my parents, I told Paul, I told my close friends, uh, Todd and Jamo, and, uh, and some other people that, that you would know from around church. And what I experienced when I told people was that the sin at that point became very, very black. That's when it started to become absolutely horrendous to me, and I started to realize the full gravity of, of what I had actually done. But at the same time as feeling that deep sorrow and regret, um, that's when I also started to experience the most joy. Uh, And passages of scripture that I'd been meditating on for years started to come to life. Hmm. So who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my blood may fail, but God is my portion and my strength forever. Hmm. Or you make known to me the path of life, In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand of pleasures forevermore. Mm -hmm. Or the Psalms where it talks about God healing the brokenhearted and looking at Psalm 8, I think it is, talks about God capturing your tears in a bottle. He Mm -hmm. understands the pain. Mm -hmm. So those passages really came alive to me. But that in itself wasn't enough either. What I then had to learn was that I had to radically amputate everything in my life that had led me to sin. Um, And that included getting rid of my computer. I didn't have a computer at home for over over, over 10 years. There are still parts of Sydney I will not go alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And even for quite a long period of time, I didn't even look at the Sydney Morning Herald website um, or other news magazines because I found the images too graphic and they would lead me in areas that uh, that were unhelpful. And so I found that uh, Colossians 3 really became an anthem for me. Um, So Colossians 3 says, then if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hmm. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And as I said before, one of the problems with pornography is that um, even when you make radical amputations and you cut things off, the images keep coming. So I would still wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and think about things that are horrendous. But I found that over a period of time after executing these disciplines... My mind started to change, and it started to renew, and it started to um, to clean out. And my story is that um, after a number of years, my desires after my mind was constantly after my mind had been renewed actually flipped, and my desires sexually now are towards women and not men. But even if that hadn't happened, by the time I got there, I was so satisfied in Jesus that it wouldn't matter to me if I remained single for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, Because I think that I have experienced an intimacy with Christ that is so rich that that's actually all I need. Mm.
0: Thanks for sharing. Uh, Looking back on that time, what were the helpful things that other Christians did for you?
3: A couple of things. Um, My church at the time was very helpful because they were very clear that sexual activity... um, same-sex sexual activity was wrong. And because they were so clear, that's actually what stopped me from taking it the next step because every time I was tempted in my mind I would recall, well, my church says this um, and God says this and that's what stopped me. So, So being really clear is really helpful. The second thing that was really helpful is that when I told my friends they actually didn't ever treat me differently. I still got invited on holidays. In fact, my friend Todd read books and books on the subject so that uh, when I was reading the same books, he was reading the same books, and that was really helpful for me. Mm. Um, and just uh, being normal. I mean, I would tell you this. This is the fifth time I've given this interview this weekend, and there are, I've got friends in all the services um, who I've known uh, since primary school, and they've all come up to me and said, um, I wish I had known so I could have helped you. Mm. So my encouragement to you is that this is actually a battle not worth fighting alone. And people I find um, don't judge. They are more helpful. And, um, and so I'd m- my encouragement is for you to actually mm. make it public to at least a select few.
0: So anything unhelpful that people did?
3: Um, yeah, th- the things that were unhelpful were that even though um, most of my friends were good, the church culture I was in was still very homophobic. Mm. Um, a lot of coarse joking, uh, mm. a lot of name calling. And while um, I firmly believe and I think we need to be strong on the fact that same sex attraction is not normal, making somebody feel not normal mm. uh, 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 was a problem. So I needed to, f- I, I sometimes felt like I had no one to talk to. Mm. Um, so th- yeah. that's.
0: You've made yourself uh, incredibly vulnerable this weekend. Um, uh, why did you agree to? I've known about. I've known about this for years. Why, why did you agree to share this this weekend?
3: Yeah, I have. Um, I have three three reasons why I decided this was the right time to tell the church more broadly. The first is that um, when I was growing up, I never had an example of somebody who had actually battled with this issue and pursued holiness. So when ministers preached on same-sex attraction or homosexuality, it was always theory um, and they never spoke from legitimacy in terms of personal experience. And when they talked about people that changed, they always talked about people that were unnamed who I couldn't identify, couldn't see hmm. and couldn't question. The second, the second reason why I think the time is right is that um, I'm really concerned with the culture at the moment because um, uh, I'm concerned that there's an... A, a, a push to make same-sex attraction and homosexuality normal. So, for example, there's a song that's been playing on the radio um, it was at was top of the charts for weeks um, where the, the line is, the chorus is, I can't change even if I want to, even if I try. The song is wrong and it's offensive to me. Um, and sitcoms like Modern Family, um, even if we can look at them and say, well, as a Christian, that's not what the Bible teaches... Um, they have an ability to soften our hearts um, to the seriousness of the sin. And so Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that even though we might read the Bible and identify it as wrong, um, that our culture is subtly creeping in and making it more normal. A third reason, um, which is a more general reason um, uh, based on my reflections of this church, is that even if you're somebody who doesn't struggle with this particular sin, I'm concerned that there are some people who... Um, even though they have areas of sin in their life, they're not fighting Mm. their sin. Um, And the problem with that is that if you don't fight your sin, you won't experience the full benefits of union with Christ. Mm. So when Jesus says that he will satisfy us completely, he doesn't mean that he will satisfy you in your sinfulness, but he will satisfy you in your holiness. And it's not easy in fact, it's really hard, and for me, it took years and years and years of fighting, of loneliness, of sadness, um, before I got to a point where I really could say that I was completely satisfied in him. And so I want to use my life to persuade you that when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are thirsty, and I will satisfy you, mm. when he says that, he means it, mm. and I want you to experience the power and the benefits of of having an intimate relationship with Christ. And that means radically amputating your sin.
0: Hmm. Thanks, Mike. Mike is a man who does strive for holiness, strives to love Jesus and serve Jesus. Uh, You're such a good friend to me, and you're a huge blessing to this church. So thank you. Let's give him a round of applause.